<laughs> I have to confess, Mick has gotten me in trouble with my wife now. I have to be honest, I, I, my, I got a little ambushed. My, my emotions got a little ambushed today by the song, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, and uh, His Truth is Marching On. That really meant something, and I, I kind of felt that with everyone here today as well. The sound guys are working on the echo here. I think they'll get that straight in just a minute here. But while we're, we're doing that, we, we want to just summarize a little bit about what we've been doing the last few weeks. We've been talking about transitions and how that they transform our life. And we've gone through the great transitions of the Bible, at least some of them. Now today, we recognize that many of those transitions that were in the Bible were mostly external kinds of things. But today we're going to talk about a series called When God Rocks Your World. And we're going to talk about the fact of what He does internally, not just externally to you, but what He does internally. And I've always been, you you know, shall I say... uh, uh, infa- infatuated with this whole idea of transformation. I've loved it. it. It's a great subject. And the other, not too long ago, I was reading an article about how to transform your speeches with color. So I, you know, I looked at that and I thought, what, what is this all about? I started reading the article and it said that if you're going to be a, a great speaker, you not only want to learn how to speak, but you've got to dress appropriately, too, with the proper color. And they discussed different power colors that would help you if you spoke. And uh, they said that the best color for speaking is black. And uh, black shoes, black pants, black shirt. And if you're speaking to an informal crowd, go Hawaiian a little bit on it. And uh, I thought the article was really stupid. I threw it away. I, um... <laughs> Madison Avenue says they can transform your life. You just buy this product, this deodorant, and you will be transformed. And if you were this ugly duckling, guys, you can now become a chick magnet if you just wear this deodorant. Plastic surgeons say that they can transform your life. We even find out that certain pharmaceuticals are now talking about better health through chemistry. (laughs) Love can change your life, at least for a while. What really transforms the human life? Is it education? We even tried to educate many of our people who are in our prisons, and it did transform them. It made them smarter criminals. Uh, now some of them are getting their master's degrees. There's different approaches to society, and there is rehabilitation, there is reform, but it's far different than transformation. I, I wonder why we're in business as a church. When, when Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, the same spirit, being united in love and in purpose. Are we doing that? Are we doing things without grumbling and complaining? Are we being the shining stars to society? Uh, It it seems to me that the test of a church 
isn't whether or not you got a great speaker or you got great music. That certainly helps. But it seems to me the product of the church is whether or not we're making and helping people to becoming more Christ-like. It seems to me that, uh, I don't know about you, but there's still some whining and complaining in my heart from time to time. There was a popular show some years ago called Extreme Makeovers. I think I'm not a TV watcher per se, except for sports. They just kind of plug ESPN into my arm and I'm kind of there, but that's about it for me. But there was a show called Extreme Measures, and for some of you, you may think maybe it's still going. It's, it's when people really have something done to their body. And, and, and when they see themselves in the mirror for the first time, they're absolutely taken back. Many of them cry. They weep because they're no longer that person that they thought they were. They're, they're something better and nicer and more beautiful. And, and people have just, there's just thousands of applications for this show. Because people expect to be transformed. I don't know how it is at your church. I don't know how it is in Sunday morning when you round up the kids, dad and mom. And you say, well, we're going to our church. And we're not coming back the same. Uh, that's not what I usually hear. All right, guys, let's, let's get going. I don't want to go to church. You're going to church or you can die right where you're standing. And that's real motivation. But how many of them come back saying, I just want to be transformed. I, I know that when I go to that church, boy, I'll tell you, God shows up. Now, I realize that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's with us all the time. But you know as well as I do, there are some Sundays you go to church, and I mean, God just shows up big time. And we didn't have church, but as some of my black brothers say, we had serious church today. You know, i got to tell you that I don't know that I've had more fun in the pastorate than what I'm doing right now with you folks here in Dillon. I mean, this is a great, in the background, awesome. And this is a Christmas. But it seems that, though, week after week, we've felt God's presence here in a way we've not felt it before. You know, the issue is, is that People want to come, they want to hear the Word, they want to sing the songs, and they want to go away changed. I don't want to be the same. I want God to come in and change me. And sometimes that change, God says, okay, we're going to transform you. We're going to make you into more like Jesus Christ, but I've got to tell you, when that happens, I'm going to rock your world, baby. When God wants to drill a man, thrill a man, skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when He yearns with all His heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch His methods, watch His ways, how He ruthlessly perfects whom He royally elects, how He hammers him and hurts him, and with His mighty blows converts him, 
into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts his beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and with each purpose (laughs) he fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. An anonymous poem that was quoted by C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon says that when God wants to get a hold of a man and when he wants to get a hold of a woman, he makes them a people of prayer. He learns to trust them at wit's end. I had a little bit of that this, this week. Oh, man. We're selling our house in Denver. I just found out after four floods down in the basement over 14 years. Some of that was black water. came up from the sewer. I don't have to tell you the drill that you go through on that one. You have to have the guy come in. You have to do all the abatement. It was a 60-year-old home. There was asbestos in the tile. There was lead paint. I mean, everything. They did everything. Fortunately, the shirts covered it all. And now we thought we had a clean bill of health, only to find out this week that the drain only went so far into the yard, but the rest of the drain all the way to the sewer line is not good. And it's going to require thousands more dollars to fix that drain. Uh, Even preachers get upset. And sometimes God takes you to your wit's end over some of the simplest stuff in your home and says, I want you to trust me at this because I'm at work. I'm going to rock your world a little bit more, Gene, because there's an issue where I want you to trust me and I can only meet you at that point at your wit's end. Spurgeon says it's a guy that's willing to stand alone, a woman who delights in God alone, A person who has sympathy for the poor and who's full of praise. But that's not what the world says, no. It's never prayer, it's about power. It's never about trust, it's about let's take over. It's not about let's go alone, no, it's get an army. It's not delight yourself in God, it's delight yourself in yourself. It's not sympathy for the poor, it's spend your own money. It's not praise for God, it's praise for yourself. In order to get a person to the line where Spurgeon was talking about, that needs a whole new worldview. To this, to this point, transitions can rock you, but they are mostly external things. Now we switch our attention to the internal, the very things that God can literally rock your world with. And I want you to hear the story about the Apostle Paul. Before he became the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And God rocked his world. You have your Bibles this morning? How many of you did not bring a Bible? God bless your sin-sick, shriveled-up little heart. Okay, here we go. All right. I think we put it on the back of your sermon notes, so try that. In verse 1, it says in chapter 9, All this time Saul was breathing down the necks of the Master's disciples. Out for the kill. I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's version of the message because it, 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 he really captures this chapter. He went to the chief priests and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if, if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. 
This, this Saul of Tarsus was like the Gestapo. He was like the KGB. It was dangerous to be a Christian. It was dangerous to identify yourself as a, as a, as a follower and a disciple of Christ. In verse 3 it says, He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Saul says in verse 5, Who are you, Master? He says, I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city you'll be told what to do next. This is amazing. Paul's about ready to have, number one, his entire worldview changed. You see, when God rocks your world, He doesn't just change a little bit. He begins with your worldview. Paul had said that Jesus was not the Christ, or Saul did. He said he was, he was a false messiah. He was threatening Judaism. He was threatening our way of life. He was committed to eliminating the Christians, to have them arrested, even put them to death. Two chapters earlier, we, we, we run into a story of Stephen, who is the first martyr. And they laid the coat of Stephen after his death at the Apostle Paul's feet, Saul of Tarsus. Saul had overseen that whole annihilation of this man. Some years ago, many years ago, when I was the traveling speaker for Campus Crusade for Christ, I spoke at Kansas State University, and I was speaking on this passage, and it says in chapter 7 that the last thing that Stephen saw was Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That's the only place in Scripture I'm aware of where Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Everywhere else he's seated And I made the presupposition, and I can't say it's gospel truth, but it was kind of like Stephen was the first martyr, and it was like Jesus was standing for the first martyr. (laughs) It was a big deal to me, you know. Though the next day the lecture ended, and the next day we came back together. I was the speaker in the morning again, and I, I I took to this audience of some 1,100 great college kids in this great assembly, and I said, All right, let's review our talk from last night. You remember the stoning of Stephen? They laid the the coat of Stephen after he was stoned to death and laid it at the apostle or the uh, Saul of Tarsus' feet who then became the apostle Paul. Let me ask you, remember what I said? What was the last thing that Stephen saw? And some kid in the back row, you know, the campus clown, got up and said, rocks, thousands and thousands of rocks. Well, that was funny, and, and I laughed about it and still laugh about it these years. But i got to tell you, the kid captured something between the human viewpoint and a divine viewpoint. When we're in the middle of the storm, most of us just see the rocks. Most of us don't see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. We don't see Jesus... Sometimes in our life saying, I'm going to rock this guy's world. I need to change not just some of his behavior traits, 
I need to change his world view. I need for him or her to understand that I'm at the center of that world. Well, Paul was shook up. I don't know if he was riding a camel or he was just walking and got knocked down, but I'll tell you what, he goes down to the ground big time. Then he says, who are you, Master? He seemed like he, needed, he knew the right question to ask. Who are you? And he calls him, in some versions, he calls him Lord. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Master? You see, when God rocks our world, we have a pretty good idea who's rocking our world as Christians. But Paul seems to be on a need-to-know basis. And he says, look, you get up and go to that city, and I'll tell you what's going to happen when you get there. Powerful time. I've always wondered about being a person who sees the glass half empty or half full. But my point is this morning, if we're going to develop people that really don't grumble, really don't complain, that really would fall into what Paul is saying, make my joy complete by being of the same mind and the same spirit, that's not just behavior. That begins with a whole new world view. And in the middle of that and in the center of that view is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I know there are many people who've come to know Jesus as Savior. I made and delivered that prayer to Him earnestly when I was an 11-year-old kid. But it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I know that I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Now, I know there's a lot of debate on whether I'm the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if He's not your Lord, He's not your Savior, and I'm not, that's not of interest to me. All I know at this point is that He was my Savior. I understood salvation when I was 11. I didn't understand Lordship till I was 24. That's when my worldview changed. And sometimes we have, I think, in our midst sometimes, what I call Christian atheists. We believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't really believe that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And so God says, I've got to rock your world a little. I'm not just in, into some behavioral changes. Oh, we've had thousands of people come and go through centuries with all kinds of positive mental attitude thinking of how you can change your behavior. There was even one group that would send you a special ring in the mail. <laughs> you put it on your finger, and I, whatever finger you wanted, and it would remind you to say certain things. If you thought you were unorganized, you would just tell yourself every time you saw the ring, I'm organized, I'm organized, I'm organized. And you would kind of try to convince yourself you were organized. If you didn't love your wife enough, you'd say, I love her, I love her, I love her. Until you probably threw the ring away. No, I'm just kidding. But you can't you can't change who you are by just changing behaviors. Some people call that in psychology behavior modification. A weight watcher teacher was teaching a student I, I just can't drink coffee without having a donut. It's impossible. Coffee and donuts together. She said, no problem. Here's what we'll do. Stop drinking coffee and drink tea. You don't, you, donuts don't go good with tea. Oh, that's going to change, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Behavior modification is not where it's at. It is an entire world view that has to change. The next thing that happens, and this is interesting, is in verse 7. Watch this. Not only does when God changes your world, He, he changes everybody around you. Look, look what happens in, in, verse, in verse 7. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anymore. While Saul, picking himself up the ground, found himself stone blind, they had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He, con- he continued blind for three days. He ate nothing, drank nothing. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, master, he said, get up and go to the, to the avenue called Straight. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has, he has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Now watch this. Ananias, in verse 13, says, Say what? Well, he doesn't say that. He says, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priest that give him license to do the same with us. But the master says, don't argue. Go. I've picked him out. Look, Listen to this. As my personal representative to the non-Jews and, the king, and, king, and kings and Jews, and now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias, and I'm sure to some degree a little bit reluctantly, went to the found the house, placed his hands on the blind Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the Master sent me, the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth, than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got to his feet, was baptized, sat down, and had a hearty meal. Oh, don't you just love that, and had a hearty meal? Yeah, many denominations feel this is the proof text for potluck dinners. I don't know. Well, after that, he was accepted as one of them, going in and out of Jerusalem with no questions asked, uninhibited as he preached the Master's names. Now, I've got to be honest with you, folks. There are times where people who come, come to Christ and you can't believe they've become a Christian. I remember when I was young, there was a fellow in my neighborhood in Muskegon, Michigan, by the name of Duke Wilkie. This guy was a terrorist. He rode one of those big Harley hogs. He was tatted up, and this was back in the 50s now. This is not today. He was tatted up like you wouldn't believe. Had he, at that time, he had rings everywhere when they weren't even known or popular. Had his hair, you know, way down, flowing down his back. And when Duke drove up on that Harley... You either be a friend of his or you were about to really experience a lot of pain. People stayed clear of him. One day, Duke was driving his little uh, 52 Ford that he had kind of hopped up. And there's a curve in Muskegon, Michigan off of a highway called M20 that everybody takes a little too fast. And if you take it too fast... You can wind up in the ditch. And Duke was a little bit inebriated, and he wound up in the ditch and basically survived the crash barely. But in that hospital room, he said in his testimony years later, the Apostle Paul got knocked to the ground. 
God knocked my car off the road. I came to know Jesus Christ in the hospital. And he became not just my Savior, but he became my Lord. Duke wound up going to Grand Rapids Bible College, which is a pretty fundamental school. The change was radical. From a hellion to a, a, a preacher. And nobody in Muskegon, Michigan, believed it. <laughs> nah, nah, Duke's just got a new way. He's just trying to, he's just, he's going for the offering. Watch the offerings. He had criticism all around him from people who were Christians. It took years for people to trust him. And he became a pastor and, and he led many to Christ. But there was a period of time where nobody believed that he had come to faith. The same was true for a very, very godly man in his later years by the name of Chuck Colson. Many of us are familiar with the White House scandal under Nixon. It took years for many people to believe that Chuck was on the level. It was no different in Paul's day. Because you see, when he rocked Paul's world, he rocked his friend's world. One man can make a ripple. Let me take you to point three real quickly. Point three was, and this is kind of interesting... In verse 22, but their suspicions didn't slow Saul down for even a minute. His momentum was up now, and he plowed straight into the opposition, disarming the Damascus Jews and trying to show them that, they, that this Jesus was the Messiah. The guy that he thought was not the Messiah is now the Messiah. His whole worldview had changed. It says in verse 23, and after this had gone on quite a long time, some Jews conspired to kill him. My goodness. Not only does he change our worldview, not only is it confusing for our friends, but in third, he compromises our position with those who oppose us. You see, when God rocks one guy's world, his friends get rocked and his enemies get rocked. One person can make a difference. Not just through behavioral change, but when his world view changes, when he understands that Jesus Christ is not just the Savior, so thankful for that, but he is the Lord of the universe. People come to me and they talk to me on airplanes as I travel and fly all over this world. And they say something like this, well, you know, Jesus, he, he was a wonderful prophet. He was a great man. That's what I believe. And I turn to them, and without trying to contradict them, I say, yes, he was. He was all of those things, and a whole lot more. And much, much more. I don't know where he is for you today. If he's become your Savior, how thankful I am for that. If he hasn't, that's where the worldview starts to change. And that's when you begin to come to church, and that's when you go to his Bible, and you begin to read the Scripture, and you begin to be transformed. God will rock your world. But when he does, he'll rock your friends. He'll even rock your enemies. Jesus wins at the end. We've had so many movies. Even comedians have taken the name The Last Man Standing. 
Well, I can tell you who the last person is standing. It's Jesus. His enemies will even become his footstool. You can always expect persecution from those who are your enemies because they may lose their job. They may lose their standing. They may lose their argument with you. And if they lose that argument, if they lose the whole discussion, then they're forced to have to deal with it. Recently, I, I'm on my way to, um, to Germany. We're planting a brand new church in Munich. One of the greatest cities of the world. It's, it's a major, major city. And so many English speakers come from all over the world. In this one church alone are a little over 40 different cultures from the world. Talk about potlucks. Wow. In this particular church in Munich that we're going to be starting there, and actually there already is one, but we want one more because it's such a large city. There are people who come from everywhere and, and, and people who witness many times to the nationals because they're in the workforce. That's where the real evangelism takes place is in the workplace. It's where faith is integrated into the workplace. And many of the German nationals ask questions. Many of the German nationals want nothing to do with religion, organized religion, Jesus Christ or anything else. We've, we've dealt with that. It's, it's, it's a hoax. And, and yet these English speakers come in and they share their faith and they share who they are in Jesus Christ. And over a period of time or two or three years, the German people begin to recognize there's something different about these people. They're not just behavior modification people. These lives have been transformed. And God has rocked their world. And even some of these people who would oppose Jesus Christ, not necessarily the person, but they oppose Jesus, have come to faith over watching day after day, month after month, year after year. Because they're forced to. You may be sitting in the audience today and you say, well, my life isn't going to matter. One, one person isn't going to make a difference. Oh, my friend, I, I, I just have to disagree with you. If you'll let God just rock your world, if you'll just say with an open heart and an invitation, Jesus, I, I want to be consistent between what I know about you and how I live. Is there anything in my worldview that needs to be rocked? Because I know that when you do, you'll not just only change me, you'll change my friends around me. You'll even change those who are opposed to the gospel. Well, then in the final verses in 31, Peterson writes it this way. He says, after that, things calmed down. <laughs> and the church had smooth sailing for a while. All over the country, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, the church grew. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. The Holy Spirit was strengthening them. They prospered wonderfully. My the hair on the back of my neck just stands up when I think we sing that song, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Not your truth, not my truth. His truth. I, 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 every, every week we have so many people outside from Summit County, and you're going to go back to your churches. 
And maybe this vacation was just what you needed. It helped you through that transition. But now you know you face something that, 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 that God may be really speaking to your heart this morning and He's saying, I'm about to do some great things, but if you'll, if you'll let me get through this, if you'll let me rock my, your world, I'll rock your friends' worlds with what I'm doing through you. I'll even rock your enemies. But I promise you at the end, there will be peace. And your church will prosper. Your family will prosper. <laughs> I mean, can I get an amen? I mean, that's, that's the thing that we long for. I, I was just following a car in today. And it had that upside down peace sticker on it. Peace for the world. And I thought, well, I'm speaking on that today. But if you want it, it starts with God rocking your world. Then he'll rock your friends. Then he'll rock your enemies. And then peace will come. And the prosperness of God's kingdom will take place because his truth just keeps marching on. I'm going to ask my friend Dave Hunsinger to come on up here for a minute. Dave's got a story. I want him to I want you to hear this. It's only going to be a couple minutes. But but I but I want you to hear this story because what what what's going to take place in this story is is the unsurmountable thing that when God turns things upside down in your life, even for physical safety, you can try, you can count on Him. Dave, share with us what happened for you. Uh, when I was a much younger man, I worked for an oil company in Yemen, and it's like the biggest sand trap in the world. And there was one road that ran from the camp to the refinery, and I was driving along that road. And probably 60 miles an hour or so in a Toyota Land Cruiser and a pickup truck was coming up behind me. Comes up, passes me. I look over. There's two guys sitting in there, local guys. They had scarves on and the scarves covering their faces. Um, so I kind of look at him. He looks at me. He pulls up an AK-47 uh, pointed right at me. And uh, so in my ultimate wisdom, I speed up. And so I'm going faster, and he speeds up and leans out the window. He's out in front of me now, and let's go a burst of fire. Goes ting, ting, ting off the front of the car. There's a local guy sitting in the seat behind me, one of my workers, and uh, doesn't speak any English. He puts his hand on my shoulder and says, stop. And um, so I stop, pull over. They lay us face down in the sand, and, you know, the road's going through refinery this way. They get in the trucks and drive them this way into the desert and leave us out there. And, you know, before that day, Jesus Christ was my Savior. But after that day, He was my Lord. Um, I knew He had a plan for my life. I knew I was alive for a reason. Uh, peace came over me. I called my brother all freaked out. And, um, you know, and after a while, I learned, you know, God is in control. And that's why I'm here today. And, and you had an interesting part about it. You told your brother something about your mom. I, I, I told my brother, don't tell mom. Whatever you do, don't tell mom. And, and for the youth and people out here today, mom always finds out the truth. Yes, yes. I had a mother like that as well. Yes. The issue today for you, Dave, and what's so powerful about this story is that God can be trusted even in the midst of the greatest adversity when our life could be taken. And... and by trusting God and, and realizing He has a plan for my life, it's just a, there's a peace that comes with that, knowing that I'm here for a reason. Sometimes I'm still trying to figure it out.
Yeah. But but I can trust God uh, with my life, with my family, with all I do. He rocked your world that day. He rocked my world. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you can't go back. There's a new normal. And from here on out, it's the Lordship. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Give Dave a hand there. That's great. You may have a different job these days. You may have a different environment in your life. We've even talked about the, the toughness and the suffering that one goes through on a divorce or the death of a spouse. For some of you, there is new normals for you. And God has already begun to rock your world through transitions. But there's nothing like Him rocking your world internally. Oh, how I, I long for all of you to have that worldview that only comes from a Christian perspective. Because when it does, your friends get rocked, your enemies get rocked, and the peace comes. If you haven't done that today, then may I just invite you, as I close in prayer, to invite Jesus Christ to come in to be your Savior. If that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, then just pray it silently in your heart after me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward down here. I like it up here by myself. That's fine. You don't have to come. And if you are a Christ follower, but you know he wants to take you to another level, give him that opportunity today. You'll never be the same. Your friends, your enemies won't either. And there could be a sense in your life where when you come to church, you're expecting to be changed. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for this morning. If uh, there is one here today who doesn't know you, may this prayer express the desire of their heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my life. Forgive my sin and make me into the person you want me to be. Thank you. You can just say thank you to God right now because that's an expression of faith. Lord, there are many people here who are Christ followers and we know that we want to go further with you and we want to see your truth keep marching on. We're just so thankful we get to play a part in this role of seeing the world hear a clear, crystal clear message of what it means to be a Christ follower. Would you use me? God, I give you permission just to rock my world. Change me. Not just my behaviors, but my worldview, my heart, my, as we talked about last week, my soul. Even change my enemies, Lord. Make them followers of yours. And may peace and prosperity come to the church. Not just because we're well-behaving people, but because our dependency is upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's just sing and, Mick, if you can get us started, let's sing it a cappella. Let's sing one of those verses of glory, glory, hallelujah. Let's do that together, and then we'll be dismissed.